This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Welcome to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Today on Friend of Maryland, I talk a bit about my new survey exploring fat people's experiences getting vaccinated for COVID-19. I chat with Neymar Rodriguez about Disney masks and fatness, and I spotlight a piece from Ashley Swicker about fat children in picture books. Regular listeners of the show will remember back in August when I chatted about my experiences in getting vaccinated for COVID-19. I had an upsetting experience with my first shot because the vaccinator was unaware of the guideline that people with fatter arms, like mine, needed to be vaccinated with a longer needle. Uh, Just to remind you or to recap, if you didn't catch that episode and haven't seen my work on this in social media, many governments around the world are putting in the guidelines that because COVID-19 is an intramuscular vaccination, which means it needs to be injected into the muscle, that people with fatty arms, meaning they have more fat, between the injection site of the needle and where the muscle is in the arm should be vaccinated with longer needles in order to ensure that that vaccination reaches the muscle. So I had a not great experience with my first vaccinator who didn't know this, a better experience with my second who did, but it left me really worried about how we are vaccinating our fat community, both here in New Zealand and across the larger world. So I teamed up uh, with some scholars I've worked with before, including George Parker, um, who you would recognize from my work, and Ash Gillen, another scholar I've worked with before, and Leslie Gray, who worked with George and I on our piece that we published um, at the start of this year about how governments were throwing fat people under the bus in their COVID responses. And the four of us have put together a survey project. We are inviting fat people who have received at least one vaccination for COVID-19 to participate in our very quick survey. It takes most people around three minutes to complete, and it simply asks you questions about your vaccination experience and knowledge. If you are interested in participating, you can find it um, across my social media feeds, both myself and my friend of Maryland feeds. You can also go directly to the survey at tinyurl.com forward slash V-A-X-X-C-1-9. 
VAXXC19. We are hoping and inviting uh, fat people from around the world to take this survey. And so far, um, we've had around 7,000 people. Uh, we're hoping to get to 10 or 11. So if you're listening and you haven't already taken the survey, please do and please share it with your networks. Today is Nema Rodriguez, an enthusiast of Disney, food, masks, and a wide range of artistic creativity. <laughs> Nema, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I have to say, Disney foods and wearing masks. <laughs> is yes. the wearing mask part, was that a, something you enjoyed pre-COVID or is that more post-pandemic you have found that you enjoy that aspect um well it was post-pandemic um I learned to make out of you make lemonade out of lemons so when everybody was wearing medical regular masks I brought out my sewing machine after so many years since like high school and I you watched make your own YouTube masks. videos and started making masks and I started adding like lace on them or like glitter. And so I'm all about wearing masks. Even now when they're not required, I still wear them every day. And I'm like, I put so much hard work into these masks. I'm going to wear them till they tear apart. <laughs> I mean, like first and foremost, love it. I love that you're making your own masks. I'm um, assuming that you're often making stuff that specifically goes with like your outfits that you're wearing. And so I love that too. <laughs> like the whole coordinating the masks and blinging them up. Like, I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty fantastic. So I a hundred percent support that endeavor. Do you, and not to try to like turn this into like a, a late stage capitalism gig economy and stuff, but a lot of people that were sewing their own masks, I know that went on to like start selling masks to other people was that something that you ever got into or was it really just about making beautiful things for yourself uh well it started just me making them for myself and my family and then people started requesting them like oh my goodness I want some and then I just you know to a few friends but for the most part it was just for myself and my family and then just kind of people kept requesting them (laughs) yeah I mean it was I have to say that um Less so for the like, you know, fashion aspect, because my masks are all pretty, pretty boring. Although I do have one that's made out of a a Madonna fabric that I quite love that I got on eBay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, They, um, I, like, I very much, um, you know, we're having a really different kind of experience with COVID where I am in New Zealand, because we've had a very different strategy from kind of the start. And so for most of last year, after we did a really hard early lockdown, our life basically went back to normal. We didn't even have to wear masks. Um, but a lot of us, especially in, in winter, went ahead and wore them anyway, just because we actually recognized that they're a useful health tool in terms of, you know, washing your hands regularly, wearing masks can actually keep you from getting you know, just the various winter 
kind of colds and illnesses and flus and Definitely. that kind of stuff. And I mean, there are huge parts of the world in, in Asia and across, especially Southeast Asia, where wearing masks in public is the norm. So, you know, I'm with you. I hope this becomes a really normative thing that, you know, people wear them because they want to and they see the value. And if they can make them fabulous like you do, I think that's great too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I have to ask, Nama, as a Disney enthusiast, were any of your masks Disney themed or like Disney flavored in that sense? Yes, I do have a few. Um, I'm a big Disney villain, so I have a few Disney villains. And see, when I was buying the fabric to make masks, it was when there was everything was closed in Las Vegas. So what I started doing, I started buying pajamas from Walmart or from different stores, and I would that make is them. Such a good idea. So, so that's what I started doing to make masks with. I used, would buy fabric from like scrubs or. Um, yeah, like how from, many masks can you get out of an average sized pair of pajamas or scrubs? Like how many is that? Uh, I don't know. A good number. Well, I would turn them into shorts, like the pants, the pajama pants. I would turn them into shorts and then I would have the matching mask to it. <laughs> oh my God. I love that so much. That's gold for so me. I just I'm got like, creative with whatever. I was like, what? How can I make masks? Where can I get fabric without getting actual like fabric since everything's closed? That is, I mean, that is seriously um, innovative. Like, I am very impressed. Uh, pajamas, scrubs uh, to be repurposed as fabric for masks. So, you said Disney villains. So, that's where your enthusiasm and passion lies is, is with the bad guys is what you're telling me yes i have a passion for the dark side and, anyway uh, like <laughs> which particular villains are your favorites at the moment um i really love queen of hearts and um oh my goodness i had it at the top of my head i completely spaced it well queen of hearts is definitely one of them yeah um, she's pretty fantastic yes and then my my cartoon crush is hans from frozen which everybody thinks it's the funniest thing oh, like, I, okay. just love, I love Hans he's my favorite villain <laughs> <laughs> I mean he is quite attractive eh yes you and know? I lo- well I think it's the voice I love the guy who plays his voice okay. which is Santino Fontana and I love his- he's got the voice of an angel and so I'm like yes that's my favorite villain <laughs> no I love it like I mean you know if you had to ask me like you know, my favorite Disney characters, top three for me would be Ursula from The yes. Little Mermaid. And she's obviously a villain, um, yes, you know, but her. she's just, I, sh- I, sh- I know, right? Like she is just <laughs> fabulous and feminist and she's fat. Um, and so, you know, she's one of the few Disney characters I was ever able to relate with when I was little as a fat kid. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, but she's definitely a villain. So, uh, and the queen of hearts, actually, now that I think about it, like, she was so fabulous in her unreasonableness and her commitment to being unreasonable. Like there's, there's a lot there to be admired, especially as a woman. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm like, I can go on. I mean, there's, uh, and then I always forget his name, but the bad guy from Pocahontas, I love him. I want to cosplay him. The one that, and he walks around with a little pug. So you know, I, I actually can't pug. remember his name either, but I, I know who you're talking about. He's, I love him. 
I mean, I have a kid. And I want to get that outfit done so bad. I want to cosplay that. That's like my dream cosplay. So hopefully if I make it to Comic-Con next year. Okay. I want to cosplay him and get a little pug and walk around with my little pug. Governor Radcliffe. There you go. Yeah, I just Googled it. it. So Governor Radcliffe is the evil, greedy, and racist bad guy in Pocahontas. Yeah. And of course, actually, he is also fat, you know, because that's one of, you know, Disney... I guess in my experience, like Disney has a really bad habit of their villains are either fat or they're queer coded um, for the most part. Um, You know, so yeah, like Ursula, this guy, the queen of hearts being fat. And then like, I guess Scar is one of the most, Scar and Jafar are probably the two, you know, most identified as queer coded uh, in that kind of sense. Nama, have you always loved the villains like since you were little or is that something that is more recent? Since I was a kid, I always had a thing for like you the dark always side. Always like the dark side. This <laughs> <laughs> is <just> more fun. <laughs> like, I guess for me, like, because I can tell that, you know, I- I'm significantly older than you. And so, like, the Disney that I, the first Disney villains I was introduced to were um, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty and the Evil Queen from Snow White. And they were both like incredibly scary when you're a little kid like especially maleficent when she becomes the dragon the fire breathing dragon and the evil queen wanting snow white's heart carved out of her body like (laughs) (laughs) they were just like really straight up scary so i think that kids of my generation probably like we didn't have these fabulous kind of bad guys that came later in the disney canon like with jafar and ursula and um you know the 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 ones that you could that there was a lot to like so i I wonder how much that is a is a generational thing yeah (laughs) but i totally respect your love for the villain nothing wrong here with that yeah so and it's so funny because every time i go to disneyland they're like oh have a nice day princess i'm like i'm not a princess i'm a queen this this is why (laughs) this is why you need to be able to cosplay as one of these villains when you go to disney and then that way they'll know not to call you a princess (laughs) 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 and name if there are people listening who are uh keen to to learn more about you to to hopefully you know, follow you with the hope that one day they will see you cosplaying as Governor Radcliffe. Uh, where can they find you online? Um, my Instagram is pretty much where I'm at most of the time. It's uh, my handles at Vegas Fat Kid, spelled out how it spelled out how it sounds. Because people are like, is it P H A T or F A T? No, it's F A T. Yeah, and so you're like, no, we're, we're not we're not messing around here. It is F A T here. That's the way we roll. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um vegas fat kid yes and that's where they can find you on insta yeah instagram is normally where i'm at um i started my tiktok slowly it's it's getting there um mostly tiktok i post mostly food of uh, just you know places yeah, where i love we like food to. yeah I we love like food. food yeah <laughs> <laughs> Nama, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a real treat um, to chat with you. And I am now uh, going to pay a lot more attention to those Disney villains uh, just to make sure that I'm not missing out on any greatness there. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Like I said, I was just a little nervous because 
I don't know, just the camera on my face or just when you're expected to talk, it's like, uh, <laughs> but thank you so much. You helped me. Like, I felt very comfortable. So thank you've you been so great. much. <laughs> you've been a great guest and I hope we'll be able to talk to you again in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you. Same, same. In the spotlight today is a piece published on Book Riot on August 6, 2021. It's entitled, Where Are the Fat Children in Picture Books? by Ashley Swicker. Quote, there need to be more fat children in picture books. There need to be fat children celebrated in picture book. There need to be fat children dancing, eating, running, and playing. And they need to be prominently and warmly featured in picture books. I first realized the depth of this problem when reading The Very Hungry Caterpillar to a group of first graders. The caterpillar ate and ate and ate, and then he wasn't a little caterpillar anymore. He was a big, fat caterpillar. I read that sentence, and a group of giggles erupted. Not the joyful kind, but the snickering, side-glancing, fat-as-a-dirty-joke kind. And even though I had already been a teacher for a while, I wasn't sure quite how to respond. Anger or punishment? Explain that he's not really fat, he's turning into a butterfly? It felt like any response would reinforce the idea that fatness is to be mocked, a response already ingrained in the six-year-olds in front of me. Honestly, children's literature hasn't done much to combat this concept. For centuries, the able-bodied, slim, white, binary-obeying child was the only image ever shown in any book. While the lack of fat representation is itself a problem, the explicit mockery of fat people and children in particular is present in many picture books. The biggest disaster I've come across is a book by two heroes of the picture book genre, Rosemary Wells and Mark Brown. Their 2007 book, The Gulps, is a fat-phobic piece of trash that made me shake with fury when I stumbled across it in the library. A fat family loads up their RV with junk food and heads off on their vacation. Their vehicle stalls out due to too much weight, and they're stuck near a farm where some good thin people teach those fat, fat fools that salads are better. The reviews constantly refer to this book as side-splitting and important. Many adults mention in their reviews that, sure, it might make overweight children uncomfortable, but that will make them turn over a new leaf. My stomach is boiling even thinking about this book existing, let alone the fact that it has been used in nutrition education for children across the country. Fat bodies exist at every nutrition and activity level in both children and adults. It's a problem to send the message that being healthy can be equated to thinness. It's a bigger problem to send the message that fat people are unintelligent lumps who could completely change their lives if someone would just mention lettuce to them. Shame and humiliation are never going to positively affect anyone's life. This book gives free license to children of every size to put down fat children. It would have annihilated me as a fat child. I cannot imagine the damage it has done. As an adult, I've begun to repair my relationship with food, diet culture, and fat acceptance through reading. Memoirs were the first books that helped me see how limiting societal expectations around bodies can be. Dietland by Sarai Walker was the first fiction book I ever read that loudly called bullshit on diet culture. 
Then, slowly, I began finding narratives that celebrate bodies. Romances where fat women thrive. Stories where fat people openly discuss the exhaustion of dealing with the pressure to diet. Stories where fat people have a range of triumphs that have absolutely nothing to do with any type of loss. In the past five years especially, there have been a number of young adult books published that celebrated fat teenagers. This is amazing, but it needs to skew lower. Recently, I bought a book that brought back terrible memories and moved me towards amazing healing. Starfish by Lisa Phipps is my favorite book of 2021 so far. This middle grade titled follows Ellie, a fat girl with a thin family who endures abuse at school and from her mother. Working with a therapist, she accepts that she does not deserve such treatment. This may seem simple, but many fat people grow up with negative messages everywhere, from conversations with their loved ones to the picture books they read in elementary school. Knowing that fat people do not deserve that treatment, knowing that it is wrong, does not come easily. I was deeply touched by a note from the author that explained this book was specifically written for a middle grade audience to send positive messages to children at an earlier age. Children of every size need to understand that all bodies are good bodies. The younger, the better. The genre is not completely devoid of positive representations, but the lack of titles I have to share here is a reason for this essay. The picture book, Abigail the Whale, is about a girl who is called a whale at swimming lessons due to the large splash she makes in the water. I still can't give this one five stars because the swim instructor allows the bullying to happen and instead pulls Abigail aside for a helpful pet talk. But I'm happy there's a fat child getting page time. But why is this all we get? The recently published Bodies Are Cool by Tyler Fetter is an amazing book that features bodies of every shape, size, and ability. So there we have two books, one of which might send a positive message. My living is picture books, and two is all I've got. There is an obvious answer as to why we see this lack. Many people honestly do not believe fat children deserve representation. They believe fat kids need to be fixed. We live in a time when there is a war on childhood obesity, and for all the shaming and warnings about how large children are unhealthy, nothing is changing in the data. It's almost as if humiliation and mockery will not change outcomes. To anyone who wants to fight that fat kids can't be in books because they need to be healthy, I'm here to tell you that thin does not equal healthy. We could get the ickier questions about our natural national obsession with health as an inherent moral value, but this isn't even the moment. If we want to teach kids to treat their bodies well, we must first teach them to love and appreciate their bodies, no matter how they look. There need to be more fat children in picture books. There need to be more fat children celebrated in picture books. There need to be fat children dancing, eating, running, and playing, and they need to be prominently and warmly featured in picture books. At this point in my life, I now understand that when a young child laughs at the word fat, I can calmly ask, why is that funny? Most kids will pause and shrug. They laugh at fat because the people around them do. If they respond with, because they're fat, I can easily add, oh, I don't think fat is funny. It's just another size, silly, and smile. Kids never get offended or say, but it's not healthy, or really answer back at all. They're sponges figuring out everything they know about the world based on how we talk about them or talk about ourselves or act in front of them. Kids of every size deserve fat children in picture books. I'll keep asking until we get it. End quote. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmaryland at aol.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Closing the show is Kingfish with My Blue Tears. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.